Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. Good morning, Covenant. So good to see you this morning. I really enjoyed worshiping with you this morning. God's Spirit is here, isn't it? What a great, great way to start, and there is more to come. If you have a copy of God's Word, join me in John's Gospel, uh, the very first chapter. If you're a guest with us, my name's Joel, or if you're watching from home, I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the honor of opening God's Word this week. Uh, We're in the middle of a series called Surrender. We started it at the first of the year, and we're asking a really pivotal, really critical question, I think, both individually and corporately, whether it's me kind of starting off on a new year individually and comparing my past with my future and trying to determine where God is going to lead me, or whether it's our church and some of the conversations that we have been having and will continue to have about our collective future. The beginning point for all of that is a life that is completely totally, fully, unconditionally surrendered to God. And I love that over the last few weeks, we've not only seen examples of that from the Scripture, we've seen lives, some of those even from among us. Last week, you guys received so well one of my older brothers in ministry, my mentor, Bob Roberts, did just a phenomenal job opening God's Word. But you saw in that message, and for those of you uh, uh, who are uh, pastors and in our pastoral residency, for those of you who went through our Global Net training this past week, you saw even at a deeper level how it, it wasn't education or eloquence or skill or strategy. It, it all began with a single life simply saying yes to the Lord, whatever that meant. And that included, for those of you who heard his life story, being rejected at several points, things not working out quite like he thought that they would. And then just 48 short hours ago, right in this room, we said goodbye to one of the godliest deacons I have ever known, a woman named Olivia White, a woman who was fully surrendered. She never asked for a microphone, never asked for a spotlight, but she made an impact. She made a difference in the life. One of the reasons the grief is so heavy when someone leaves us like that is because we realize the weight that is being left behind. Like, like we, don't, we don't have that presence in our lives anymore. And, and some of you may wonder, one of the first things I wondered when I heard her passing is, my goodness, who's going to pray for me now? Not that I don't believe the rest of you do, but just, you know, I knew that woman did. And so we have seen, have we not, not only in the scriptures, but in the lives of all of these people, what a completely surrendered life looks like. God, brothers and sisters, is opening some windows for us and giving us a real clear picture of what he expects from the rest of us. And so as we look at John chapter 1 today, we're going to shift our focus just a little bit to another aspect of a a fully surrendered life. And here's what we're going to learn. A fully surrendered life will replicate itself. We become what we celebrate. Did you recognize that? Do you know that? We we become what we focus on. We become what we give attention to. That's why we, we try our best to avoid giving inordinate amounts of attention. Listen, we're not a perfect church and we're going to address things when they need to be addressed. And if there's a legitimate issue, we want to try to work on that. We want to serve the body of Christ. She's worthy of it. 
But what we don't want to do is give an inordinate amount of attention to squeaky wheels. Because if you spend all your time greasing squeaky wheels, you're going to end, what you're going to end up with more of? Squeaky wheels. Yeah, and then you're going to end up with the first church of the righteously ticked off. I have no interest in pastoring that church. None whatsoever, right? And, and so it matters what you focus on. It matters what you give your attention to. And because whatever you give your attention to, you're going to get more of. I want to speak from this account today about just simply the value of one. And I want to ask a question that I asked several years ago. I know that a number of our small groups are now going back again through this, the three circles training. And I, I heard from several of you, it's like, Pastor, it's kind of awkward uh, sharing the gospel with people that we know, but just kind of rehearsing and just making sure we get the story right. And, and it, it's a little awkward. But you know what? We, we see the value in this because when that moment comes naturally, organically, we want to be able to share that story as though it is a part of us. And sometimes that takes practice. Well, here's the question. Who's your one? Who's that individual? And for some of you, you heard me ask that question four years ago. That one person, that coworker, that family member, that person that you want to see come to know the Lord Jesus. Who is that person to you? And I want to speak from this account today about the value of one. We live in a culture, I don't know if you realize it or not, that devalues singularity. We, we don't like one of anything. Lay's potato chips made a lot of money a few years ago with an ad that said, I bet you can't eat. Yeah. And that makes sense, right? I mean, who just wants one cookie? Who? Really? Who would do that? Right? Who wants one Krispy Kreme donut? My favorite donut in all of the world and my health will not allow me to eat a Krispy Kreme donut anymore. You go, oh, come on, Pastor Joel, you can have one donut. Yeah, that's the problem. No, I can't. I can't, all right? I know my limits. Some of y'all struggle with alcohol, which is why you don't ever need to touch it. Doesn't make it a sin for your neighbor to drink. It's not a sin for some of you to eat a Krispy Kreme donut. You, you can do that. It would be for me, because it'll just keep going. It's the only donut you drink. Hey, man, I mean, it's just awesome, right? I can't just have just one. I, I got to have more. What's the value in only one dollar? But the scriptures unveil the value of one. You notice how that theme just sort of, it, it, I mean, the, the text is pregnant with stories like one pearl of great price, one lost sheep, one wayward son, the value that God places on one. And so today we're going to see the, the value of one faithful act of obedience. One effort to share your story. One invitation of that neighbor, that coworker, to come and be a part of our fellowship here. One message of hope, one conversation or friend with a coworker. In fact, it's a great question to ask if you want to know, am I truly, fully surrendered to Jesus? He's not just my mascot. He's my Lord. He's the center and the circumference of my life. If you want to know if that's true, ask yourself this question. Can you name at least one person in this world who was not a follower of Jesus, who now is a follower of Jesus, and they would point to your influence. Is that something you can do? See, in the North American church, our conversion ratio is 80 to 1. That means it takes 80 people who are active in church to reach one individual for faith in Jesus. Now, here at Covenant last year, that number was 30 seven to one. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. I, I think that's good. But 
we have to ask. If it takes 37 of us to reach one, what are the other 36 doing exactly? Y'all still know I love you, right? Okay, I just wanted to make sure you knew that. Who has come to Jesus because of you? These, these 16 verses are the invitation for us to give an invitation. In fact, that invitation, come and see, it occurs twice. The phrase, we have found, occurs twice. This is a record of people introducing other people to Jesus. And I want, to see, I want us to see in this record the value, the effectiveness, the power of one. Four dynamics. Here's the first one. The value of one transformed life. Just one, all right? We saw that for those of you who were at Miss Olivia's funeral and graveside just two days ago. You know her life was transformed because you felt it, didn't you? All right, look at this in verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Andrew. In fact, every single time he is mentioned in the Bible, it is in connection with his brother, Peter. Because everybody knew Peter. I mean, within 20 years, everybody knew who Peter, for good or for ill, everybody knew who Peter was. Andrew was this little known, you know, kind of little brother hanging out there. And it's almost as if the writer of Scripture is, is drawing all this out, and he, and, he's, and he names Andrew, and he goes, you know, if I don't, if I don't elaborate, they're not going to be able to tell this kid from a hippopotamus. I'm just going to write out Simon Peter's brother. So there's a connection there, right? There's a connection. And every single time his name is, is given in this text, we see that connection. You ever had to ride somebody else's coattails? I had to ride my wife's once. It was fun. Back in the late 1990s, <clears throat> Billy Graham came to Louisville where I was about 30 miles southwest of the city. I was pastoring a, a local church there. And, and while I was in seminary, Amy had actually kept us financially afloat. She managed a bookstore. And the folks at BGEA got wind of that, and they offered her a job, a temporary job. They said, we would love for you to be the resource manager for the entire crusade. All right, so it's coming to Louisville. We're going we're gonna to have it at Cardinal Stadium there right off of I-65, and we, we would love for you to just make sure. And so your job is to recruit both paid and volunteer individuals, have them on the stations, you know, manning those stations, collecting and, you know, receivables and outgoing and all that on the money, making sure and taking proper inventory uh, of the books and the CDs and all the other things that, that they're going to sell uh, in, this, in this building. And so my wife did a phenomenal job of that. She does a phenomenal job of a lot of things. And so, and so they fell in love with her. So when I showed up, I became known as Amy's husband. And it was great. I mean, it was great. I took advantage of the situation. A young preacher, and they're, oh, here, you're Amy's husband. Here, you want some books? <laughs> yeah. Here, you want some preaching CDs? Yeah, I'll, I'll take anything. I add to my library. I got access to other areas that were closed off to the public. I rubbed shoulders with some of the platform personalities, and, 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 and this is, that's what got me in. Nobody said, oh, he's a student at the seminary. Well, of course he is. There were thousands of us there. We all wanted to meet Billy Graham. Had nothing. They didn't care that I was at the seminary. They didn't care what degree I was working on. They didn't care that I passed my Greek exam the week before. I was pretty proud of that. Here's what they knew. That's the guy tied to Amy. Give him what he wants. Right? It was just, it was great. 
There are people who live their whole lives that way because they're married to somebody or otherwise related to somebody famous. That's Kanye's cousin. That's Rob Lowe's neighbor. Right? In the annals of Scripture, this is what Andrew gets tagged with. He is forever, never more than the brother of Simon Peter. Anybody in here live in their older sibling shadow? One hand went up. That's great. Out of all these people, everybody else is like, well, my brother's in the room. I don't want him to know. I don't want him to know. Three times this man is mentioned in all four Gospels. Every single time. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Here's the point of the verse. If there had been no Andrew, if there had been no transformed life for his brother to witness, there would have been no Peter. You recognize that? Guys, this isn't about who gets the spotlight and the microphone. This is about who's faithful. Even before the Lord Jesus told his disciples that he would make them fishers of men, Andrew witnessed to his brother and landed the big fisherman, Simon Peter. That's a quote from Donald Gray Barnhouse, the late Presbyterian pastor. The man that would preach at Pentecost and see 3,000 people come to Jesus first had to be brought to Jesus himself. It's why our Greek Orthodox brothers and sisters called him the Protokletos, the first called. This one changed man reaching out to another. And I got to tell you, that's a tough job for a brother. You ever had to try to sell your sibling on something? Most siblings are really different, aren't they? I, I don't know if that would have been true for Peter and Andrew, but I know in my experience, I have a younger brother. He's an idiot. I mean... If he were standing up here, he'd say the same thing about me. I've got an older brother. He's an idiot. We love each other. We love our families. Nothing we wouldn't do for each other, but there's just ways I do things that are just 180 degrees from the way he does things. So if I'm going to sell him on something, his general response comes kind of like, yeah, I grew up in the same house with you. Right? So if Andrew has such influence on Peter that Peter converts as a result of the guy whose socks he had to smell growing up? What kind of transformation actually took place in Andrew's life for that to happen? Peter had to see something, didn't he? Paul actually describes that for us in 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Is this what people closest to you see as a result of your walk with Jesus? Parents, is this what your children see as a result of your walk with Jesus? I had nothing more exasperating than, than parents who don't live out their faith don't read their Bibles, don't pray, don't, don't make their faith a priority, and then their kid becomes an agnostic and they blame the church for it. <laughs> it's the people closest to you who know you, who see you, and if that transformation is real, they're going to see it. They're going to see it. Listen, it doesn't matter how successful a pastor I am if I don't live out the transformed life that God has called me to and has given me the power to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. My kids may not follow Jesus, and that won't be your fault. It'll be mine. Can I 
say that God has so transformed me, the old really has passed away, the new has come? Is this what people closest to you see as a result of your walk with Jesus, or do they see you living the same life that you lived before? You know, in evangelical spaces, we love to refer to Laodicea, the lukewarm church. I wish that you were cold or hot. You are not cold or hot. You are lukewarm, and therefore I will spew you out of my mouth, Jesus saying, you make me so sick, I could vomit you. Um, and Jesus just called us vomit. That's not very, that's not very flattering. And I, I, I used to think that was all about zeal, right? It was all about, you know, getting fired up. And so I would feel bad if I got, if I woke up and I was a little sick or even the number of times y'all don't even know in the last seven years, I've been up in the study getting ready to come down here today. Thankfully it wasn't one of those days, but I'll be up there and I'll just be, and I'll be just like, Lord, I'm not feeling it today. I ain't feeling it. Like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I know the energy that it takes to preach God's word and I don't know if I've got it. God, I need you. I don't know if I'm feeling it. And I used to think, well, that's what lukewarmness is, but it's really not. Lukewarmness is about being unremarkable. Because if you look at the context, there, Laodicea had two cities on either side of it. Upstream was Hierapolis, known for its hot springs, hot water. Downstream was Colossae, known for its really cold water before the days of refrigeration. Two cities known for their water. Laodicea, this really rich, kind of uppity place, known for a lot of things, but not for its water. When Jesus says you're lukewarm, that's what he means. You're unremarkable. There's nothing about you that seems to be different. People taste your life and they go, eh. That's, that's what it means. Imported water. Unremarkable. And then there's people like the sister that we laid to rest on Friday. Nothing bears greater testimony to the power of the gospel. I mean nothing like a genuinely transformed life. You know when people have been with Jesus, don't you? You know. You just know. That's the value of a transformed life. Here's the second dynamic, the value of one relationship. Verse 45, he found his brother Simon. All right, Andrew go gets his brother Simon, even though he, nobody knows me without my brother Simon. This aggravates me a little bit, but my brother needs to know about this man. Verse 45, Philip found Nathaniel. There's somebody else whose life is transformed. They go to the person they have a relationship with, and they tell them about Jesus. Who's your Simon Peter? Who's your Nathaniel? Charles Spurgeon once said that grace doesn't run in the blood and regeneration is not of either blood or birth, which is another way of saying it, it doesn't matter who your mama or your daddy is. Amen? It, it just doesn't. It's between you and your creator, but it often happens, does it not, that God uses one of a household to draw the rest of that household to Jesus. The God of Abraham became the God of Sarah. And then the God of Isaac, and then the God of Jacob. There's two stories in the book of Acts where the whole household eventually comes to Christ, starting with dad. So let me talk to the men for just a moment here, because this is hard for some reason for guys. I, I, I'm not going to elaborate on all the reasons that there could be for that. I'm just going to say it's tough. It's tough for some reason, is it not, gentlemen, for us to just kind of cross that line and, and, and do that, that hard job of spiritual leadership. It's very, very difficult. But oftentimes it does start with dad. And we have men's groups on this campus, off this campus. 
I, I, I'm excited to see what God is doing through some of our men. And so hopefully this is just sort of a preventative maintenance challenge more so than, than, than a corrective. But, but I, I got to say, so many guys, man, you've taught your boys how to take a deer, but you haven't taught them how to pray. You say, well, I don't know how to pray. Learn with them. Learn with them. You don't have to always be strong. You don't. You make the biggest impression when they see how you react when you're weak, when you're powerless. Your daughters know how to change a spare. That's good. That's good. Mine will too before she learns how to drive. But when they look for a husband in all likelihood, whether they realize it or not, and there's probably some 14, 15-year-old young ladies right now going, Ugh, no, no way, no way. All right, little sister, you just wait. Let's give it about five, six years to see if your pastor is right. You're probably going to find somebody kind of like your dad. That's probably what's going to happen. So dads, how you feel about them bringing home somebody like you? Oh, man, there was some nervous laughter on that one. Yeah, can I just speak a moment of transparency? Gracie was like four, and she and her mom, she's sitting in her mom's lap. They were watching this video of uh, Allie, I forget her name, Ken, I'm sorry, but the, the lady sings that beautiful rendition of This Is My Father's World, beautiful. And I just reached down over, and I just kind of wrapped my arms around both of them. And I, and I started rocking both of them a little bit while we were listening to this. This is years ago. And, and my, my, my wife, certainly trying to speak well of her husband, I appreciate that. She goes, she goes honey, when, when you grow up, you need to find a man who is as godly and is as passionate and loving and caring as your daddy. You need to find somebody just like your daddy. Does that sound sweet? You know what I said? I said, no, she better not. Because <laughs> I know the contents of my heart. She brings home somebody like me, I'm going to bury that sucker in my backyard. <laughs> right? Because we all know, right? We know our hearts. What's going to happen when that actually happens, fellas? What, what's going to be the result of that? What's going to be the result? What kind of example are you setting? Doesn't have to be eloquent. Doesn't have to be pretty. It, it, it just has to be earnest. That's it. That's it. We love celebrating big moments, spotlight moments. Look, I love this church. I love that God has given. I talked a, a, few, a little bit a couple weeks ago about the, just the tangible assets that God has blessed us with. But there's a whole lot about these spotlights and microphones and TV cameras that's quite dangerous because it, it makes us think that this is where it's all happening, and it's not. Rarely, if ever, does God start with a big moment like that. All right. Everybody talks about some A-list celebrity's conversion. Listen, I'll celebrate that too. We love to romance revival meetings. In fact, just be praying. There is something happening. God is doing something right now, even as we sit here on the campus of Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. I don't know if you've known uh, anything about that or have kept up with that at all. Christianity Today covered it a few days ago. They started a chapel service on Wednesday morning, and it has not stopped. God's doing some stuff there. And it's not the first time that he's moved 
through our Methodist brothers and sisters at Asbury. Uh, it's just an incredible awakening that's happening. And I, I look at it, and I'll tell you, my, my heart gets filled with hope. I think to myself, you know what? Every single time our nation in its history has come up upon crises, and I, hey, we're getting a bit of a crisis moment, wouldn't you think? Yeah, all the stuff we've been through the last three years is just a microcosm of everything that's wrong with us. God sends revival, and there's never been a single time in American history that he hadn't sent a revival that it didn't start in some significant way with college students. So I'm looking at that, and I'm going, God, is this it? Are you about to bring some healing? Is that what's going to happen? I don't know if it's going to happen. I can't predict what he's going to do at Asbury. But here's what I can tell you. If revival sweeps this nation, it started on Wednesday morning with, a, with just a, a handful of students that nobody knew about. That's how it starts. Big things start with small things. In your home, the big stuff starts with the small stuff. In our church, the big stuff starts with the small stuff. And that's what we find here. You have that power. There's more power in one close relationship than in all of the big stuff combined. Every bit of it. The history of the church, the majority of conversions don't happen in large stadiums or loud concerts. They happen in living rooms and tree stands and golf courses and book clubs and machine shops and factory break rooms because some transformed person said to another, I found somebody and I want to introduce you to it. But that moment never comes without words. So that's why the third dynamic is the value of one conversation. You actually have to have the conversation. Everybody loves to quote Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. St. Francis never said that. I don't know how it got attributed to him, probably because we know based on his life that he was a peaceful man. And therefore, he would not come back and beat somebody up for misquoting him like that. He didn't say that. And if he had said it, it would remain a perpetually stupid thing to say. Okay? That's like saying, call me, and if you need to, use my number. Text me, and if you need to, use a phone. Tell me, like, what kind of idiocy is that? Look at it. Verse 39. He said to them, come and see. Verse 46, Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's funny. We'll come back to that in a minute. And, and Philip said to him, come and see. These are invitations to witness what God is doing. Let me bear witness to what he's doing in my life. Let me bear witness to what he's doing in our church. Let me bear witness to what he's doing in my family. You know how people usually start attending a church and are introduced to Jesus? You want to, out of 100%, how many do you think come because of a public advertisement, because of a sign, because of a newspaper, not newspaper, internet article, anything like that? 2%. 2%. Okay. So in case, because I've gotten suggestions around here, but we need a new sign. Those things are $75,000. No, we don't. 2%. Okay. 6% are invited by a pastor, somebody in my role. Another 6% come from organized visits. I mean, organized visitation is not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. 86% came at the invitation of somebody they know. 
And you know where I learned this? Some of you heard this story before, and if you have, just, just we got a lot of new people. Just bear with me. My father, he turned 78 just last week. My dad, until I was almost three years old, put diapers on my rear end with illegal liquor money. He was a moonshiner. He was a mechanic by day. He made liquor, transported it by night. And because he was a mechanic, he made sure what he built was faster than what the sheriff's department had. That's my heritage, okay? That's where I come from. So I'm just being honest. And then God changed it. Yeah, my life was the Dukes of Hazard. That's exactly right. Um, and, and, then, and then my dad came to faith in Jesus when I was like three. And that man, I don't think he ever missed another opportunity to talk about Jesus. I can remember like being eight, nine years old and going to work with him back before the OSHA wouldn't allow it. You don't want to talk about an OSHA nightmare. Eight-year-old kid down in an oil pit, 27,000-pound milk truck over the pit. Dad's draining the oil out of this end. There's another mechanic draining the rear end fluid out of this end. Guess who dad's talking about? All right? And he never finished high school. Never finished high school. I have no idea how many people will be in heaven because of my dad. But it's possible more than will be there because of me. Because I didn't learn how to share my faith from an evangelism professor or from Billy Graham. I learned it from my daddy. He never stopped. And listen, it wasn't a four spiritual law. It wasn't cabbages. He would just, let me tell you what my Savior did for me. Let me tell you what he can do for you. Constantly, constantly. A few years ago, I, I happened to be home and he had a situation with his heart. I ran him to the emergency room. Everything got stabilized, and he starts talking to the nurse. Young lady, you've been so kind to me. Thank you so much for taking care of me. I, I can't leave here without asking if you know Jesus. What about you? Does Jesus go with you everywhere? Because if he does, it may not look like my dad. It may not look like, I'm not saying it's got to be, we all got to be, ah, talk about Jesus all the time, everywhere we go, airplanes full of people coming to Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? But I am saying if, he, if he's with you everywhere you go, he's going to get a mention every once in a while. I found someone, one conversation, one invitation could change everything for that person. And here's why, last dynamic the value of one Savior. Verse 41, we have found the Messiah. That's pretty bold. All right, we have found the Messiah. Verse 45, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Okay, so they, from the standpoint of Jewish history, this is huge. The one who was first promised to Abraham, the one uh, our King David was told would come from his line, the one our prophets announced with great detail. I just saw him. Where? Nazareth. And that's where that line comes from. Can anything good come out of that? This would be like in 20 centuries later, we found the Savior of the world. Where? Bakerton? No, no, not really. No offense to anybody here who lives in Bakerton. But it, see, it doesn't matter what you find unless what you find is actually valuable. All right? 
Your story, my story, doesn't really matter unless it's connected to the story. Okay? Now, it's not just, let me tell you about my converted. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you the, the story that makes this story what it is. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had and bought it. When you come and see, you're truly transformed. When everything becomes new, everything else in your life becomes yard sale eligible by comparison. Nothing, that's what Paul talked about. Everything else in my life is rubbish compared to the surpassing value, he tells us in Philippians, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, because there's nobody like Jesus. Listen to me, let me say that again. There is nobody like Jesus. Nobody. What could possibly be a greater passion for you or me than Jesus? I'm preaching to myself here. Because I'm one of those guys that gets into this, like, well, I kind of want my little thing here. I, I want my, I, what, what it? every time I put my wife on a plane, every, every time, it, like, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. FedEx and Southwest had a near miss the other week. Uh, uh. Your family? I wonder if that's why Jesus said, unless you hate your father and mother, you cannot be my disciple. Entertainment, sports, go Chiefs. <laughs> Just listen, all smart people go with the AFC unless it's the Patriots. We all know that, right? And y'all, listen, y'all know me. Don't look at me like that. You know I'm right. Now, and y'all know your pastor loves a game of football. I love everything about it. It's nothing compared to eternity nothing. Enjoy it tonight. Eat enough wings to give yourself indigestion. I don't care. I hope you enjoy it. It's absolutely nothing compared to what we're talking about right now. The power in one life, one relationship, one conversation comes directly from the truth that there was a God who looked down on a fallen, rebellious, wicked, sinful humanity like you and me, and rather than just damn the lot of us, he wrapped himself in human flesh, lived among our nonsense, died as our substitute to absorb the full wrath of God that should have been mine and should have been yours, and then he rose in overwhelming victory over death, hell, and the grave, ascended to his Father, and is coming back for us. How, how can that not be at the top of everybody's list? So what does it mean? Let me give you three challenges in a story, and then I'm done. Number one, just, just commit to being an intentional witness. If it isn't happening by now, it won't happen unless you're actually intentional about it. That's why our small groups are doing intentional training. I'm not trying to make a an encyclopedia salesman out of y'all. I'm really not. We're just trying to give you a framework for how to share the story. Okay, and it just, that's it. It'll change over time. Your presentation changes over time. Our pastoral residency right now is learning. How do you move from text to sermon? How, how do you deliver a message? And, and they already know I violate my own rules every week. They know that. I'm not, I'm not telling them this is the way you do it. I'm saying here's a, here's a schematic to get you started, right? 
Same thing with sharing your faith. You say, well, I don't like canned presentation. Well, I, don't, I don't like that one. Here's all the things that are wrong with it. Fine, what are you using? Oh, nothing? Maybe use this one. You can tear down what somebody else built or you can get busy building something. Building a life that's committed to Jesus. Building other lives that are committed to Jesus. Be, be an intentional witness. And then go and tell, number two. What would happen if everybody in front of me said, I know my one, and you just spent the next year saying, I'm going to pray for that individual. I'm going to, when I can, share the gospel with that individual. I can't, I can't control anybody's response, but kind of like Joel's dad down in that oil pit in South Carolina, sometimes he got laughed at. Sometimes he got turned away. Sometimes he, you know, it, it, was, it, it was like 1979, 1980, but if it had been 2023, they, they, some of those guys would say, yeah, yeah, hang on a minute. Because they, they don't want to talk to dad anymore. This is what we do now, right? Yeah, I, give me a second. I'm, hang on a minute. I got something right here. I don't have anything. Beautiful picture of my daughter, but that's about it. But I don't want to talk to you, right? You're going to get some of that. It's okay. Number three, repent of excuses. Repent of excuses. Maybe it's spiritual lethargy. Right? Maybe it's just too tired. One of our, Jason, I, don't, I hope I don't embarrass you. Jason Ratchford told me the other day about all these Jehovah's Witnesses that he's meeting in these places. And, and, and I, just, I just withered because the last four times I've had an opportunity to talk to a Jehovah's Witness, I went the other way. And, and, it, and it wasn't because, well, you know what? I don't. I don't, there was no excuse. I just went the other way because here's what I thought. I'm tired. I, I've had those conversations over and over and over and over again. I can have those conversations in my sleep. I know everything that's wrong with what they believe. That's, that's not, that wasn't even difficult for me. I just didn't feel up to it. You know what I'm saying? So a brother just last week punched his preacher in the throat without even realizing he'd done it. And I said, man, I got to do a better job on that. I got to repent of excuses, spiritual lethargy, growing inclusiveness. Yeah, that, that it, what is inclusivity? Well, it may, inclusivity can be a good thing, but can also lead you to a dangerous place where you go, ah, well, you know, they may not follow Jesus, but they'll be okay. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by him. It, it's not, listen, we... we there are dear friends of mine probably watching right now who follow other world religions. They know that I love them. This isn't about comparative religion or attacking them or trying to prove them wrong. It is that we genuinely believe that the root problem of humanity is that our sin has separated us from God and that a bloody cross and a bodily resurrection is the only answer. Or do we? Do we really? The measure of our witness will tell us whether or not that's the case. We do all of this because of the value of one. Whether you get noticed or not, I don't know if anybody in here has ever heard the name Edward Kimball before. But Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher at the Mount Vernon Congregational Church in Boston, Massachusetts in the 19th century, 1800s. He volunteered to teach older teen boys all right, that's important. That's important. There was one kid in particular, which by the way, covenant kids, covenant youth, 
that's what you'd be doing. You'd be, you, let me finish the rest of this story and let me see if there's some Edward Kimballs sitting out there that need to go to Pastor Chris or that need to go to Chloe or need to go to Christine and say, hey, sign me up. I need to invest in the next generation. Because Kimball had this one kid who was a problem. Did y'all know if you, full disclosure, it's not all rainbows back there? Sometimes children, I know there's some young parents, say, not my kid, probably yours, just because you're one, saying, not my kid, right? But we love them. We love them. Here's what Kimball wrote down in a journal about this one particular kid. I have seldom met an applicant for membership more unlikely to ever become a Christian. But he stayed faithful. And that kid, his name was Dwight L. Moody. Yeah, Moody Radio, Moody Publishing, Moody Bible Institute, that guy, that guy. In the 1850s, Moody accepted Kimball's invitation to come and see. Just staying faithful, just investing in another life. Let's fast forward 20 years to 1870. Moody is preaching the gospel. He starts counseling this young man named J. Wilbur Chapman. Chapman's eventually going to follow Jesus at the age of 17 and go on to become a Presbyterian evangelist himself. And then some years later, there's a man on Chapman's staff who comes to faith at a Pacific Garden mission meeting. And Chapman begins to disciple him and grow him, puts him in a process, kind of like our pastoral residency. That man's name was Billy Sunday, a famed evangelist that many of you have probably heard about. Fast forward now to 1924. Billy Sunday is preaching services in Charlotte, North Carolina, 90 miles from where I grew up. And there's a men's prayer group that emerges from his work in the city there. And they just prayed. How many of y'all knew that from 1924 to 1934, there was a men's prayer group in Charlotte, North Carolina? Anybody? Yeah, you never most of the big stuff, every big thing starts with something small. Starts with dedication. Starts with just simply being faithful. This is what I'm going to do. That meeting went on for 10 years. I wonder how many times in 1927, 28, 29, one of those guys didn't look at another guy and go, I, I don't know what good this is doing. Let's just go get a beer or something. They kept going. And in 1934, they decide to invite an evangelist to come to their town. This man's name is Mordecai Ham. Ham comes to North Carolina to preach the gospel. And in May 1934, after preaching the gospel, a 15-year-old boy responds and gives his life to Jesus, the son of a North Carolina dairy farmer named Billy Graham. Guys, that's, that's the, it, it's through the stuff, right? It, it's, it's Bakerton. It's Nazareth. It, it's, the, it's the unseen stuff. It's the things nobody sees but Jesus. But it's one conversation, one transformed life, one relationship at a time. Billy Graham's preached to 3.2 million people who have come and seen, received Jesus Christ. Because 80 years prior, a Sunday school teacher you've never heard about surrendered. He said yes to Jesus. 
That's the power of one. You're like, well, I'm, I'm tired. Everything. Listen, man, it's, it's 2023, and we've been through all kinds of nonsense. Everybody's tired. Everybody's tired. But if your faith has any value at all, it comes with some elbow grease. Amen? I, I'm, I'm going to lean in. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to give myself to the power of one. Will you be intentional? Will you be accountable? Will you be accountable? Will you say, I'm going to pray for my one. I'm going to share the gospel with my one. I'm going to be one. A fully surrendered maker of disciples of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share. Thank you, Lord, for these stories that if we just get underneath the text itself and start looking at the background, we see people not at all unlike us living in environments not unlike most of us. Now, Lord, these, these people, that we, we talk about sainthood all the time. You're the only one who has the power to make a saint. But you will make anybody and everybody a saint who calls on the name of Jesus. And so, Father, if there's anyone here this morning that, that's never done that, Lord, may, they, may your spirit just draw them to the gospel, to the truth, one of our pastors and deacons could have the opportunity maybe to lead them to Christ. For those who, who, Lord, need to recommit themselves, who need to surrender their lives to you, make you the center, Lord, not just a hood ornament or a mascot, somebody that takes the wheel when something doesn't work out the way they thought. Lord, center, circumference. Lord, bring them to that. And, and may you spark awakening, revival even as a result of what you do in the hearts and minds of people right here and right now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.